Well, hi, everybody. My name is Billy Phoenix, and it is great, as always, to be on the Lead Pastor Podcast. And today, we're continuing the conversation around multi-site ministry. You know, in our first couple of episodes, Lane Jones talked us through some of the thoughts and the strategy and journeyed through some of the nuts and bolts of creating a multi-site church. And over the next couple of episodes, we're going to be uh, turning the page and hearing some real-life stories of real churches that have walked the road from church in a single location to eventually becoming a church of multiple locations. And so we're so excited today to have with us Trevor Barton. Uh, he is from the Creek Church. Uh, they're a multi-site church up in Kentucky. And we're going to spend a little bit of time today with Trevor to hear the story of the Creek and how they've moved into the multi-site strategy. So Trevor, thanks for taking some time and being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, Trevor, give us, uh, before we get to the church, I'd love to hear a little bit of your story. Just give me a quick snapshot of your road into ministry and how you found your way to the creek. I think I got into ministry accidentally. Um, it was not something I intended to do or uh, I set out to do. I grew up in church, um, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays. Um, my dad was, um, you know, chief deacon in the church that I grew up in. Uh, so I often saw pastors getting roasted and uh, oftentimes fired by the deacons. So I, I had no desire for that world. Um, but uh, when I became a teenager, you know, I kind of got off the rails a little bit um, at the end of high school. And so I've got, you know, I've got a story and, and then folks started asking me to come share my story and and that's kind of how I stumbled into ministry. Uh, I just got invited by a church and then another church and then another church, got involved in a student ministry. And um, before I knew it, I was a student pastor and and then um, a lead pastor. And so I've been the lead pastor at the Creek Church um, for 14 years now. It's my first church. Hope it's my last. Yeah, that's awesome. Tell us uh, a little bit about the Creek. Um, how long has Creek's been around? And also, too, what, a little bit about the location you're in, who are the type of people you're meet, you're reaching, and uh, just the vision and the, and the, the mission there for the Creek. Uh, well, the Creek Church originally was known as Hawk Creek Missionary Baptist Church, and it was founded in the 1860s. So, you know, it's just not an existing church, but it is it was a very old church um, when I got here, and it was a small church. Uh, I think my first sun Sunday um, a uh, little over 40 people were there, uh, but maybe the best 40 people that exist on the planet. They they were just incredible, and and they really wanted to do something. They wanted to reach their community. They wanted to make a difference. So, um, you know, when when I came, there there was a group of people who were um, desiring something big to happen in their church, uh, even though they had never been a part of something big. And uh, so when I showed up in 2005, um, you know, they were ready, I was ready, and, you know, God was ready, and some things just started happening from the very beginning, and we started reaching a lot of people, and, you know, 14 years later, um, you know, a lot of things have changed. We've relocated uh, multiple times. We're now in a permanent facility at our broadcast campus, which is London, um, and we're building a permanent facility at one of our campuses and we have a uh, what we call a semi-permanent facility at uh, our most recent campus. So, you know, old church, but very willing to change along the way. Um, 
and I, I can't think of anything that we've not changed along the way. Um, locations, name, um, strategy, methods, you know, philosophy, you know, we've left nothing unchanged, I think, in the past 14 years. Yeah, that sounds like quite a ride. So you guys are in London. Main, your main campus is in London, Kentucky. Where is London, Kentucky? Uh, London, Kentucky is right off of I-75. We're about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes north of Knoxville, Tennessee. And we're about an hour south of Lexington, the basketball capital of the world. There you go. There you go. So in in somewhat of a rural setting, but being a church, your size of of, of being a main campus of the main campus is around 1,500 attenders each week. That's that's a pretty regional church for such a rural area. Is, is that just grown over time? And then is that part of what led you guys into this conversation around multi-site? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, everybody, um, you know, a few years ago was talking about multi-site. People are still talking about multi-site. But, you know, seven, eight years ago, nine years ago, um, it was still something a lot of people were doing. But but it was, you know, this movement where, you know, people were talking about it so much. You know, everybody else started thinking, well, maybe this is something that we should do. So I think it, it was a little bit of the larger conversation uh, that attracted us into multi-site, following churches that were already doing multi-site. And then, you know, we looked up and, you know, as you said, we were, we were regional and we noticed that we had a pretty good number of people that were uh, driving to our church from 35 and 40 minutes away uh, west of us. And, and that just seemed like, you know, this is a good opportunity for us to perhaps launch a campus. We've got 40, 50, uh, maybe even 60 people who are driving 35, 40 minutes. Um, and perhaps that could be our core group and we could launch a campus. And, and that's kind of how we got to launching our first campus um, was just paying attention to where people were coming from you know, they wanted to drive 35, 40 minutes to come to church, but that distance made, you know, a genuine connection to the local church uh, a, a bit more challenging. It, it made groups very challenging for them. Um, so, you know, there were some problems we were trying to fix for, you know, a segment of our attendees and multi-site uh, really seemed like the best idea that was on the table. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about that first uh, that first multi-site church that you created. That's always the one that in a lot of multi-site organizations is the one everybody kind of cuts their teeth on and we figure out, oh, that, that worked. And we find out a bunch of stuff that we don't want to do if you go move on to a third or fourth or fifth campus. So as you guys started that first multi-site church, what did you learn along the way? And what were some, as you look back, some of the most important decisions that you either had or that you wish you had had? Well, I think most of our lessons came from mistakes. Um, I think if it could be done wrong, we did it wrong. Um, I, I'm really, honestly, I'm, I'm not sure if we did anything right, you know, and I, I use that against the backdrop of, of, what we've learned now about how some people are, are doing multi-site, but you know, seven, eight years ago, um, you just didn't hear a lot of folks talking about rural multi-site. Uh, we knew of a couple of different sources and, and we tried to learn as much as we could. And then we tried to, you know, put our own flavor into what we were doing. So we, we made a lot of mistakes. The biggest mistake I think 
uh, we put a campus pastor or, you know, pastor of that particular location, we threw him into the deep before, before he was ready to be in the deep. And, um, we should have known that. And, you know, so we did him no favors. Uh, he's still with us, but, but in a, in a much better capacity and making just an incredible impact in our organization. But, but we threw him into the deep way too fast. And, and so, you know, everything rises and falls with leadership. And, and so that was the biggest mistake that we made. Um, we may have pulled the trigger, uh, a bit too fast, uh, but we were eager and we were passionate and, and, Looking back now to where we are today, I'm really, really, really glad that we did what we did. Um, I'm sure if we had to redo it a second time around, uh, we we would we will have done we would have done it much different and I hope hopefully better. Um, you know, so we we kind of launched a little too fast. Um, not the best optimal time. We did a Sunday evening launch, so I would preach on Sunday mornings at you know, the campus that I originally came to in London. And then I would drive over on Sunday nights and, and preach there live. And, you know, we knew that we were going to move to video eventually. So that probably, you know, wasn't the best thing to do. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I'm serious when I say we made tons of mistakes, we, we made every mistake possible. Um, and it's really only the, the grace of God that, that the church, you know, got through that difficult, you know, first season and, and, and is doing really well now and very healthy. Um, so, you know, we learned most of our lessons from what not to do. Yeah, that's, well, I think you're in good company because uh, you tacked off a few of the decisions that I think we've made over the years too and said, you know, I don't think the next, we're going to do it that same way next time. Um, one more question around the, 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 your, your first startup. As green lights go, a lot of times it's either we've got the leader that we need, we have the building, the facility that we have need, or we have enough finances, or we have the community of people. It sounds like from your story, you felt like, well, we have a community of people that to build a, a church out of that are tired of driving 40 minutes, we've got, you know, maybe a leader or a building. What seemed to, to move the, the conversation along as you moved out to Somerset? I think the biggest consideration was the people from that particular um, zip code. Um, and we also knew of a facility, you know, that we could lease. Um, and we knew that that was within our financial capacity to do that. So we, we had a, a great place to start a campus. Um, it would be a set up and tear down campus. And we knew that, but in London, we had been uh, a set up and tear down campus for three years while we were waiting to get into the facility that we're in now. So we, we knew something about, you know, being in a temporary space and leasing space and, you know, all the hard work that goes with setting things up and tearing them down, you know, every Sunday, Sunday in and Sunday out. So, you know, launching, you know, a set up and tear down campus being where we had been previously um, wasn't wasn't that big of a concern for us. Um, we we just assumed that in a matter of, you know, three to four years that we would be able to find a more permanent option along the way. Um, but we're six years in nearly seven and they're still setting up and tearing down, waiting on their, waiting on their permanent facility. 
um, to be constructed. So I think it, it was the people, um, we, we identified a place and, and we thought we had the leader. Yeah. Well, I, and it's, it's always hard, you know, when we, we talk through these conversations about, you know, when you, when you see those pieces in place, especially the community, because the community is like, we want it done yesterday because they'd be happy to, to show up already. You know, what, what tends to, and I think in a lot of multi-site churches, it dawns on them like, wow, we're, we're, we've got all these pieces in place, but internally we're, we're not thinking multi-site yet. You know, we're still, we've, we've gotten so good at functioning as a church in a singular location. That's part of North Point's story is that it took us really till about the third campus to realize, oh, wow, we're a multi-site organization. And right. What a you know, decision that's made on one campus might not work on another, or they don't have the finances to pull that idea off, and it's just going to be a blank spot where we're able to do it at North Point. Um, is that part of your journey? Because I want to, I want to ask you a little bit. Of fast forward to now, as you are now an organization that thinks multi-site. Talk to me a little bit about what you guys have discovered along the way in terms of how you program and or what levels of autonomy do they have on campuses, and what gets centralized and what doesn't. I think of multi-site pastoring or doing multi-site church. It's a lot like, you know, you get married and you decide you want to have kids and, you know, you can, you can talk to other great parents and you can find out what, what they did and what they didn't do with their children. You can read all the best books by all the, the best, you know, writers, but really you can be as informed as humanly possible, but it, it was, it was my experience then and and to some degree still today that, you know, a lot of times you just feel like you're feeling your way through the dark and, you know, you're, you're trying to use information you've heard along the way to parent your kids, but, but you're really having to maneuver in the moment so much. And, and then there's the different personalities of your children. And so I think of multi-site much like parenting multiple kids and just parenting in general, because you can have a lot of information, but there's so many times you feel like you have no clue about, you know, what should we do in this situation? And you just, you just go through your decision-making mechanisms. And, and then at the end, you hope you make the best decision. But I think transitioning from thinking about one church, then two churches and, and now three churches, uh, that really is a, a challenge. I think at least, you know, for me that I've had to unlearn thinking just about, you know, the church that, you know, I pastored for a lot of years before there, there were any other considerations as it relates to, to campuses. So, you know, now it, it is a challenge to think about, okay, this is something we want to do. Um, is this th something that we can do everywhere? Because I feel like one of the biggest decisions in multi-site is what is our model? Are we more autonomous? Are we central? Are we trying to, you know, be fluid between those, those two extremes somewhere in the middle? Um, so we just decided that for us where we are and scalability uh, in our part of the world, um, a strong, 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 strong central um, leadership was was best for us. We don't give very much autonomous consideration to our churches. Um, and that can be frustrating and limiting sometimes because we want to do something that we know we can pull off in one place or even two places 
but we're not quite sure about the third place. And then we have to, you know, make the decision. Are we going to take, take a gamble, take a shot and do it everywhere? Or are we just going to do it nowhere because we can't do it everywhere? And, and so those are frustrating conversations and frustrating decisions. But, you know, I think once we decided this is how we're going to do it, at least for the foreseeable future, um, that's been one of the big challenges and, and it drives the conversation and it shapes a lot of the decisions that we end up making. So, you know, we're strong central and, you know, we don't give a lot of freedom at the campus level to do, um, anything really that we're not doing everywhere. Yeah. And that's, you know, we get calls from time to time that people ask, well, so what's the right answer? Is it more autonomy? Is it more central? And, you know, I think we've come to say that our answer to that is it, it, it can work in any scenario, but the goal is clarity. And if somebody comes and drops into a, a campus and feels like, wow, we, we can do what we want to do, and then they get surprised by, well, we're typically a pretty central organization, that's frustrating. But what and I'm I think, too, Billy, you know, with, with rural church, um, you know, and I, I know that you know this, and many of the people who are going to listen know this, you know, in ministry, historically, in some tribes and, and some circles, um, you know, when you moved up in ministry, you, you move towards the metroplex, you move to the urban context. Um, you know, you cut your teeth, you got started, uh, you, you developed your roots in, in the rural church, you know, in many cases. So to attract the talent that we would need to have more autonomous churches uh, is really one of, of our greatest obstacles because not a lot of people want to relocate to our part of the world. And I get that. It's just, it's just a fact, uh, you know, so when folks, you know, want to go and move up, they want to move towards, you know, a heavily, heavily populated area. So attracting, you know, the numbers of really skilled and talented people that we would need to do church at a level of excellence everywhere would be a, just would be an extreme challenge for us. And, and that was probably, you know, as much as anything, another driving force in to say, you know, we can attract this many talented and gifted and skilled people and, and can perhaps even raise up uh, a certain amount, but we just, we just didn't feel that it was feasible to get the skilled people that we needed everywhere to develop some sense of autonomous expression for those churches. Yeah. And that's, that's great self-awareness. And it's an, it's very insightful, I think, in terms of understanding not only your community, but also to how your churches are working best. Um, let me ask you this or just verify with this. So, so in, in your model, cause I know these are the specifics that people typically want to know. So your you'll typically, or a lead pastor, you are going to be preaching about how many times a year it's going to go video to campuses. Uh, usually, uh, I think last year I was 36, but you know, usually 36 to 38 and, and I just, I just have been able to get to that spot, uh, in the last couple of years. Um, I really preached way too much before that. Um, but you know, I enjoy preaching, but I was trying to listen to wise counsel, uh, from so many different directions and, you know. 36 to 38 really didn't make a difference of how I felt last year and of the quality of my thinking as well. <laughs> I right. think, you know, any more than that, it's like, I, I think you just, 
you reach that point where it's just hard to to think deeply about what you're wanting to say or how you can say it better. So 36 to 38 times is is my goal from here on out. Okay, so in the in the the weeks that you're not preaching, is that somebody else that's preaching through and being broadcast, or are there any times where campuses do their have local live preachers, or is, or is most everything always broadcast? Well, it, you know, it's a little bit of both, and actually, you know, this is a really fresh conversation for for us right now. Um, you know, I would say that our our other pastors at the um, other campuses are getting about 10 weeks a year to speak live. Um, some weeks we may have a speaker in that we just want our entire church to hear from. Uh, but one of the conversations we're having right now is, you know, in the event that we have some campus pastors that are not, um, you know, they're not as strong in their, in their speaking gift as, you know, someone else, would it be better for us just to have a central communication staff that, you know, drives the communication of our church, even on the weekends that I'm not, and that we would continue to send those feeds uh, to our other churches um, with the exception of, you know, maybe four times a year, five times a year, six times a year, where the local leader would talk to the church about, you know, things that only you know, they can do, um, and that really makes the most sense for them to talk to their church about. So, you know, we're, we're wrestling through that still, but right now on the weeks that, that I'm not preaching, maybe three or four of those, uh, we will bring in someone and want the whole church to hear from, or the other weeks, the, the campus pastors will be, will be speaking. Yeah, that's great. And every campus has, Typically a live host, live worship, uh, but preaching is streamed. And uh, am I right in saying children's ministry, student ministry, they're using orange curriculum, they're using the rethink materials and are doing the same from campus to campus. Yes. Great. Well, let me uh, also to ask you a little bit about staffing. So two questions. One is, what is your course staff when you're going to launch a campus? And then second question is, talk to me about central staffing. As you've grown, have you built some central staffing that support all of the churches? Yes. Yeah, so when we when we launch a church, we will launch with uh, a pastor, a music director, and a kids director. Um, so those are the three people, and the music and kids person most likely will be part time in the beginning. So two part times and the full time and and we can launch a campus uh, with those folks and and we can keep it at that particular uh, level of staffing for quite a while, which is, you know, one of the great benefits of a strong central staff because we can run those campuses uh, with considerably less staff than then maybe if we decided to do it a different way, which allows us to, you know, have the capital and the um, the availability to be able to expand into other communities and and build other campuses. So we'll we'll keep it at two part time and a full time pastor for 
for quite a while. Do you have other campuses outside of the London campus that have more staff now? What have been those ex- those next additions? No, every you know the other two campuses still have that level of staffing: um, campus pastor, kids director, music director. Okay. Um, you know, the next step after that would probably be to um, upgrade the kids to full time, um, and then to students. Um, and right now, we've just we've got some really solid folks who are who are helping in our student ministry that are just high caliber and they're they're volunteers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe we're a little lucky in, in that sense. Uh, but that's where we are with our staffing on the campus level on on the central level. Our entire creative department really serves in a central basis. So, you know, under our what we call creative department, you have service programming with under service programming, you have, you know, central music directors, central production directors, central guest services, and central media. Um, and since we're, you know, the type of church that we are, they're strictly central. They're servicing everybody. And and all the content is being developed, you know, from, from that team and in that department. And then we have a, a central kids person, you know, central ministries, and our operations uh, departments entirely central. So, you know, it, it's, it all comes from, it all comes from London and we export everything that we're doing to the other places. And, and it really does, you know, we rely heavily on volunteers um, and, you know, without a strong, strong, strong volunteer team and, and we, we couldn't do what we do. So we staff lean and mean uh, in order to, to be able to expand. And, um, when we get to the point where we feel like, you know, some things are, are being compromised maybe with quality or, you know, oversight or, you know, anything like that, then, then that's when we start looking at, okay, what do we need to do to add more staff to this? But right now, you know, it seems to be a good model. It's working for us. Um, it's probably, probably not the best plan, but, it's a plan that's helping us do what we're doing um, quicker than if we had to spend more capital on on staffing and personnel. Yeah, and just uh, I can't remember if I have mentioned this before, but your second campus is is running about four fifty five hundred in attendance, with probably the ability to grow to about a thousand. Right, and then the third campus is somewhere about two hundred and fifty, with the ability to grow to about five hundred. So, just in terms of understanding the staffing for a church that size, that's about what we're looking at. And then you've got fourth and fifth campuses that are that are on the horizon. I think for you guys, yeah, you know, and you know, groups groups help us. You know, obviously take care of people. Uh, we use our service teams and service team captains as as a way to try to develop community and care. Um, if folks are involved on a service team, but not in a group. So we're trying to create community on service teams and community in groups. So, you know, we typically get people to serve uh, long before we can move them to a group for whatever reason. And so we've tried to, um, you know, look at our service teams as a way of, of caring for and developing relationships with, with our, our attendees. So, you know, the care of our church and the relationship of our church really does thrive uh, among our volunteers. And so because that culture seems, you know, healthy and strong, 
um, you know, having a, a paid staff um, that, you know, typically a church at 400 or 450 or 500 would have, um, we just haven't felt that it's necessary for us. Yeah. And it's a testament to the, the success of probably your groups and activating and engaging with your attenders to say, this is, you know, we don't have a, a whole lot of staff to carry this thing. This is, we're going to be the church. And if we want you to step up and serve and be a leader and, and engage in great ways. Um, let me also ask you about the financial part of this, because this is a curiosity for a lot of people. Um, tell us about how your, your budgeting works. Is everyone working off one budget or how are they divided? Talk to us a little bit about how the finances go. Yeah, I mean, everything, we have one organizational budget. So when anyone gives at our church, you know, everyone is contributing to everything. Um, and, you know, when a person gives in London, they're supporting ministry in London, they're supporting ministry in Williamsburg or Somerset, and they're supporting future ministries in other locations. Um, now, within that budget, obviously, just like you know, we do for departments and individual ministries, we know exactly what that, what that campus needs and, and we know what it's costing. And, and so obviously we can track all of that, but, but it all exists under one budget. So, you know, one church is just not supporting its own budget. All of our churches are supporting the church's budget, just the general organization. Um, We do, we do two major offerings a year. And we give that we give that that money away every penny, um, and we partner with a couple of different ministries and churches, and and we just we give that entire offering away. And our church loves that, and it's always just a really exciting time for our church. At Christmas, uh, our Christmas offering is is really a vision offering, and and our initiative, uh, our vision initiative at our church, we call it Give Us Kentucky. And Give Us Kentucky, you know, captures exactly what we want to do as a church. We want to put campuses, you know, in strategic places and communities all in our, you know, all over our state. And, you know, we're praying, you know, God give us Kentucky. You know, Kentucky has, you know, just like every state, it has, you know, a set of unique challenges and problems, but but our state you know, leads the way in some, in some things that nobody wants to lead the way in. And, and oftentimes we are at the top of the list of lists that you don't want to be, you know, at the top of. So, you know, we're, we're trying to remind our church week in and week out that, you know, give us Kentucky, that's our vision. And then once a year at Christmas, you know, we, we ask folks to give generously to the give us Kentucky initiative. And that's also where we, help pay for future campuses and and have the capital available that when and if a really uh, great opportunity uh, arises that we are we're ready to move so every week people are contributing to the work of the entire church and um, once a year we ask folks to give very specifically and generously to our our give us kentucky initiative and that's kind of how we go about you know, financing our multi-site strategy and also keeping the vision in front of all of our churches that, you know, when you're giving, you're just not giving to, you know, your location, you're, you're, you're doing ministry in many different places. And I feel as though it, it gives people a greater sense of, of opportunity to know that their giving is, is reaching 
lots of different places and, and lots of different people that they will never meet. Yeah, that's fantastic. As we wrap up, I want to ask you uh, two last questions. One is really about your leadership. And, you know, as the lead pastor, senior pastor, how do you keep the vision and the, the mission and the culture consistent across campuses that are spread out? Well, I think that I think the biggest responsibility that I have is to guard language. Um, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot about language over the past few months, and you know, there's a lot of things about language we just we take uh, for granted. And you know, there's this age-old debate among you know sociologists and you know experts about you know does culture give birth to language or does language give birth to culture. And, you know, the prevailing thought now seems to be that that language gives birth to culture. And not only does language give birth to culture, but, you know, it communicates it, obviously, but it also helps to protect it. And not only does language give birth to culture and protect it, but it also um, shapes the way that we think, you know, that we don't even have the capacity to discern colors without a verbal category uh, under which to file the colors that we see. So language is this incredibly powerful thing that shapes the way people think. It gives birth to culture. So I think, you know, in different locations with different personalities and different levels of charisma and different speaking styles among pastors and, and ministry leaders, the most important thing is language. And, you know, we challenge our staff in different ways and different conversations about, you know, do you know the taboo words of our organization? Um, have you thought about it? Have you noticed that there's certain words that you never hear in our hallways or in our sermons or that a host would use? Um, you know, pay attention to the taboo words that any organization, you know, along the way, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they seem to adopt. And, and not only that, but, you know, pay attention to the catchphrases and the phrases that you hear repeated often and, you know, answers to certain questions or questions that don't get answered, you know, because, you know, language is, is, is the thing. And, and even when we have other speakers come in, I love bringing in speakers that are not necessarily our brand. Um, I like for our church to be exposed to different flavors um, and different communication styles. And then, you know, bringing our staff together and dissecting the language, not, not whether we agree or disagree, because oftentimes, you know, we agree, uh, but it's the language uh, that's so important. You know, I may ask some of our staff, what did they say that is not really our language? And, and you know, when you have people within the same proximity speaking different languages, you know, that's when tribes develop, you know, and language is connected to identity. So if in a multi-site church, if you have different languages being spoken, well, eventually it gives birth to tribes and, you know, tribes have, you know, the potential to have conflict. And so I think the most important thing that I can do is to be a guardian of the language and to pay attention to what's being said at our other campuses. So I watch the video, I, I listen to who's saying what and how they're saying it. And when something comes up, you know, I, I, I talk to the person about it and say, hey, you know, this is not really our language. This is not 
This is not what we say or how we say it. Um, so I try to coach on language because I think that that's the, you know, I can't teach anybody my personality. I can't teach anybody my leadership style because it may not be theirs, but language is something that anyone can learn. And, and that can be at the top of the food chain all the way down to the bottom of the organization. And if we can get the same language, um, then we can have the same values, the same DNA, the same culture. And it's going to be, it's going to be very similar and, and detectably similar uh, at all of our locations. Uh, even though it looks the same, it'll still have its own personality because personalities are involved. But the language, which is the most important thing, I think, you know, my job is to make sure that it is as close to the same as possible. Yeah, that's great. Last question. What is uh, one piece of advice for a church that's considering moving into the multi-site space? It's so, it's so easy to listen to people doing multi-site and, and oftentimes you just get the highlight reel. Um, it is difficult. You know, there's been many seasons where I wondered, you know, man, am I, am I just losing? Am I, have I done something wrong? Did we, did we make the wrong call? Is this, is this too tough? Are we making things unnecessarily complicated, unnecessarily difficult? Um, you know, you, you, you second guess yourself a lot. You, you listen to other people and some are saying, Hey, it's the greatest thing ever. You listen to some voices. It's like, no, not so much. You know, I wouldn't do it. Uh, I think a person just really has to, um, they have to fill it. They have to fill it in their gut, you know, whether you call, you know, you, you feel it, you feel a calling to it, or you just, it's in your gut that you feel like this is what we want to do and we can do it. Um, and, and I just think it's different for everybody. Um, but be prepared to second guess and be prepared to make a lot of mistakes. And I don't think that there's a cookie cutter approach to it or everybody would do it and everybody would succeed in it. Um, there's a lot of ups and downs and, and you've got to know that there's always a little bit of that struggle between the, you know, the original campus that tends to typically most stories, it, you know, it, it explodes in growth. And then here comes multi-site campuses that sometimes are considerably smaller than the broadcast campus. So you have to be prepared to communicate that you're okay with that or you're not okay with that. And we want everything to be, you know, on par and on level with each other. And I think that goes to strategy. So as much as a person can discern what they think their strategy needs to be and should be from the beginning, I think the more that it will help them process the unpredictable ups and downs that come with multi-site and the challenges. Um, because I think it does expose leadership weaknesses. Um, it, it will make you take a long, hard look at your own leadership and your capacity to lead in, in a broader sense and in a different sense than just leading one local church. Um, but I would also say it's been incredibly rewarding and, and God has certainly used it where we are to reach a lot of people that we just wouldn't have reached otherwise. So it's, uh, it's like most things. It, it's wonderful, but it's costly. You can't do it on the cheap. Um, it's going to cost resources and, you know, but, it, but I think it's going to be worth it if a person does it right uh, in their culture and context. 
Well, Trevor, thank you. Thank you for uh, sharing some time with us. Thanks for all that you guys are doing up there in Kentucky. Your vision is so great, and I'm just excited and, and grateful on behalf of the communities that your churches are reaching up there. I know that God's going to do, is doing, and it will continue to do great things in and through the Creek Church, so we're so grateful. If you are interested in learning a little bit more about the Creek Church, you can find them online at thecreekchurch.com, and you can see a little bit more about all that's going on there. So as always, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks for joining us on the Lead Pastor Podcast. If you're a partner in the North Point Network, be sure to check out the conversation to go with today's podcast. You can find that at northpointpartners.org. If you're not a partner but would love more information, click on the Explore Partnership link in the show notes to learn more about how the North Point Partner Network could help your church go further, faster.